everybody, and uh, welcome back to Hooked on Hitchcock. I'm your host, Jonathan Moody, and I've got my awesome, awesome co-host here, G. Larry Butler. How you doing, Larry? Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, great to be with you again, Jonathan. Oh, oh, yes. I'm really excited about this one. This movie that we're talking about today is The Wrong Man, you know. Um, I'm glad we didn't get the wrong movie, but we got the right, you know, um, we got we got the right movie and the wrong man, you know. Um, so uh, to go into a little bit of a story behind it, this is actually based on like exact like a true story, not not just not just any true story, but they, they did everything they could to make this film uh, actually like be accurate to what happened to this poor guy. You know, um, there was, I, I will tell you, I don't know if you know this Larry or not, but the, the biggest problems that they had were that the writers had were trying to, uh, recreate the, uh, police procedure stuff. Um, mainly because the police, uh, did not cooperate with them, uh, mainly because they did not want to look bad, you know, because they got the wrong guy, you know? They thought that they thought that a movie would make them as a the police department look like they can't do their job, which I mean, in essence, they did do their job. They did. And the way they show it is they did everything as right as they could, you know, given evidence and other things that they had. I mean, they had so much proof on this guy. It was insane. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think they were prejudiced against him a little bit. I, I really feel that way. Like they thought they had the right guy, so they, they didn't really believe his testimony at all. And, and, I mean, uh, when evidence kind of shows, like, to go into like how crazy it was, like everybody, you know, um, pointed fingers at him. Everybody, except there was uh, when he. <laughs> my favorite scenes are the scenes where he had to walk into the the stores and just walk around and walk back out and the uh the woman was just like i'm just not she wasn't sure you know if that was the guy or not you know having seen him or whatever she i mean she couldn't positively id him there at the store uh the other guy i'm not sure the other not not the the guy that was with her but the other uh store he kind of um seemed to think that that was him you know, or whatever. And what? He followed his lead because uh, she wasn't convinced, but, you know, she's, he's like the alpha male in the store. Oh, I'm, I'm talking about the other store. There's another, the first store that he went into, that one guy saw him and it looked like he like was like, okay, that's the guy. But when you see the actual guy, he looks very much like Henry Fonda, you know, like you would you probably. Know, you opinion on that? um he didn't really look that much like him and when real life he really did did you see the pictures of the two that was amazing because they look so uh you know alike yeah uh, the 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 real robber had no upper lip he must have been irish or something but uh and then uh his ears stuck out a little bit more but other than that they're very similar but in the movie henry fonda didn't look like that guy Oh, are you saying like Henry Fonda didn't look like the guy that he was playing? No, 
No, no, I meant that the the guy that was actually that that was caught at the end no, of the movie. Like, I don't believe he looked like him either. I look I, I really studied that. And, I thought they looked similar enough where like they had that one scene where he says, you know, what did you know what you did to my wife? And they like them together. I could I could see it. I could see why. You there know. was some similarity, but it wasn't really precise. Um, well, I maybe that was like the big thing is like it was enough to like. Know, well, they say the same thing about people who've seen Bigfoot or aliens or whatever. Everybody gives a different description. Nobody remembers exactly anything. I I would be terrible if somebody asked me to give a um uh you know you know where the the cops ask you to do the uh the, they'll draw the care the what what the person looks like and everything what you got to pick them out of a lineup well, no no not not just the lineup but like you know how you're supposed they they're supposed to like do a character drawing of what the person looks like when you kind of describe it to them. I'd be terrible at that because that like even you, I've seen you a million times, and I couldn't I I, I couldn't describe you to as a police sketch artist. That's what I'm saying, a sketch artist. I couldn't describe you. I, I would just say you know he he had glasses and gray hair. You know that's literally all I'd be able to say. Yeah. Some people are really good at it, but if you're trained to do it, uh, like police are, but they're regular citizen, no. No. But to start with, like a pointed chin, a really broad chin, a, a big nose, little nose, you know, like eyes, color, uh, you know, ears and the whole bit, they, they don't know. Well, so anyway, we, we kind of went into a little bit too much uh we didn't actually describe the story you know at all yeah. and and yeah. we said it's based on a true story so it's about this guy named manny Since who what sorry I, I was you we were on the thing about where he went in and turned around right. I that one thing he didn't help his case at all because he looked so stern and guilty you know have you noticed when he went in it was he didn't smile you know if i was the guy i would have said hi how you doing and i'll be friendly he was nervous he was nervous i mean i i get it i, I like him but i think he was the type of guy that was uh, just a kind of very stern somber person he wasn't overly friendly and you know chatty and all of this stuff that you know normally associate yeah. you know he was a, a bass player and that explains it you know it's like Dump, dump, dump. You know, melody, you know, nothing. And a certain type of people would do that kind of, would play that kind of instrument. They don't really have any personality. Exactly. So to go, to go back, so to go to the story. So it's about this guy, Manny. He's a jazz musician, uh, works at the club uh, as a bassist, you know, at the Stork Club, uh, which is actually a real place. And they did film inside this real Stork Club. In fact, most of the, um, uh, locations were actual real locations from the uh you know um uh from the stuff that actually happened you know so like the 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 convenience stores or the banks or whatever those were you know real locations um so uh in fact i'll, I'll get into this in a second so the uh so manny is just this average guy he's got this um, this amazing wife who loves him to death but she's sort of right like in the beginning she's got an, uh, a toothache you know she needs to get her um uh what is it the um ah 
stuff like that. Um, she has an impact teeth and yeah. everything. So she needs to go to the dentist, but it costs like $300. So he's trying to get $300 out of the life insurance policy that That's they have. A lot of money in those days. I don't know. So she, he's like, I need to get, you know, $300 out of my life insurance, my wife's life insurance policy. And as it gets there, this woman at the, uh, I guess the, the bank, the, the bank is just kind of freaked out, you know, and she notices him holding, apparently, you know, putting his hand in his pocket. That was the main, that was the first thing. And that was what I guess the, the, the guy that held up the place had done. And um, so she was a little worried about this guy. So she checked in and they, everybody said, that's the guy, you know, that's, that's the guy that, that held the place up. So they called the police, the police pick him up before he got to tell his wife and kids. Yeah, they wouldn't uh, call her or anything. They won't let her call, wouldn't let him call. Him. And and on top of that, they said, Oh, we're taking care of it, you know, later when they weren't, you know, which I thought was a pretty shitty thing to do. Like just let him let him call. Um, let him just like let her know like where he's at right now so she can help him, you know. But anyway, so uh they pick him up and they the first thing they do is make him go through that stuff we said, which is go to all the different, you know, um, stores and walk in uh, all the way to the back, then turn around and walk out. And that was it. So he does that, but he's all nervous. So he doesn't know what to do. And he kind of doesn't kind of looks at the guy, the first guy, and he's all freaked out, you know, like what's going you know, oh, right. Funny. He looks guilty. Yes. And, I thought he would did it too yeah i mean he looked guilty so he walked out and back in the car then drove to the next place and that was when the girl said hey i uh you know can can you take your hat off you know and she still couldn't figure out if he was the guy or not because it'd been like a while ago or whatever um so she let him you know they let him go back uh so he's back at the police station and they ask him to do the coolest part pool's part that i liked was that they asked him to do a uh to to write a note you know because the the uh stick up guy had actually written a note that said uh and they got the note i guess he left the note with them or something you know and it said like i have um you know i have a gun in my pocket uh don't you know don't don't make any sudden moves just give me the money you're uh, out of the drawer right so right. the first time he writes it they're like okay this is similar handwriting so that's not looking good but do it again we'll we'll give it a give it another try so he does it again and this time they're like no this is not good for you because you left off uh the er i think i think that's how you spell drawer i'm not even sure how you spell drawer to be yeah. honest i think it's d-r-a-w-e-r you know and he yeah. left that part off and just had draw, which is exactly what the first guy did. Now, he says, well, I must have been doing it really fast. I didn't think about it. But that didn't make him look good. No, I have a theory about that. You remember how they, they didn't show him the first note, but they no, they did. And so the second time they, they did it, he, you know, he tried to say the same thing. Uh, he noticed 
the draw of the first man and he subconsciously i don't think he saw it i don't i don't think he did i, I didn't see the movie again or i would have picked that up but normally i see it twice this time i, w- I just too busy but, i i um but i i yeah i only watched it once so um i i can't say I, that but they, i'm pretty sure that they kept it away from him no, they turned it around and said see you know, right like, at the end but in the beginning they never showed it to him i, I don't remember yeah if, if now you might be right if they did then he's gonna obviously try to do exactly what obviously, was written I, I don't know if they tricked him or that was just an accident i think that was an accident um but it was a bad accident but they really that cost him especially the second guy not the not the uh lead detective who was great by the way uh harold j stone plays that part i've seen him in other things he's a great actor but the second guy really kind of had a case against me you notice how stern he was and i read that in some reviews on it that he just almost hated him and he was sure that he was the guy and every time you see a close-up he was like smirking like he was <laughs> I, I call him a jerk with a smirk a jerk with a smirk that's that rhymes um summed him up he was a like one-dimensional cardboard cutout he didn't really have much personality other than hating the, the culprit yeah are you are you talking about the the guy who but when he does um well yeah the second guy that didn't have many lines remember he went in the store with him when he went in and turned around and he watched oh uh, okay yeah 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 I was thinking about the guy that really hated him because there there was a guy that comes in later when he got um uh, a, uh um when he got basically fingered at the end where the the woman at the lineup said that that's him you know yeah. and everything and then he was like you know you got to give us something else or we're gonna you know or we're gonna lock you away and stuff like that that guy and I didn't like him at all I was like damn he's coming off like a little hard man like like the you oh, know. one of the cops didn't want to participate right like, it does make them look bad you know and um like I, i'm sure the real cops who who dealt with this who i'm not sure if they use their real names or whatnot but uh i'm sure they were not happy with um uh with their with the portrayal because even though like they fucked up you know majorly in a way well i mean but it's not even like they like i said they fucked up but they didn't fuck up you know like they did their best you know what i mean like they tried but uh and and they had all the evidence stacked against this dude he even talked about how this is just this this is just bad bad news you know like for for um poor uh, henry fonda you know um who i thought you know i don't think he's ever worked with hitchcock before or after you know unless he did a, no, a hitchcock presents hitchcock has a problem with almost everybody that he works with i was wondering if he he had conflict with fonda or maybe he was just in all of them and he you know kind of didn't want to disagree with him on anything but. i wonder if henry fonda was a method actor because he does not like method actors. He does not enjoy working with people who question him and, you know. One isn't one that overly emotes anyway. He's an actor that's very close to the vest. Have you noticed? Mm -hmm. Every actor who's ever played pretty much is kind of like 
the way he played this, you know, kind of not very talkative and kind of like very emotionally constrained. Mm -hmm. so that's just the way he was. So he's perfect for the role. He was perfect for the role, especially if the real guy, Manny, was like that. Um, yeah. So that's why his blase personality, I wrote, uh, made him seem like a hardened, unfeeling criminal. So to me, and so they misconstrued that for like hiding his guilt, you know, no expression, no emotion, didn't want to give anything away, didn't want to talk too much about it. He didn't overly explain himself. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not guilty. He didn't want to explain it or protest. I mean, there's really not much he can because like too much was already like going against him, you know? Yeah, sometimes it can, but I, God, if that was me, I would be protesting until a day is long. I say, I, I'm not guilty. I'm not, you know, all, explain all these other things. I would, I would not just sit there and take it. Yeah. I mean, Why? that, that was his choice. You know, that was a thing where, I mean, once again, this was, so in the beginning of the movie, Hitchcock explains that, um, you know, that this is actually not just based on real events, you know, because a lot of movies, they'll say based on real events, but they'll change a lot of stuff for cinematic purposes. But he really tried to make this as accurate as possible. Once again, the only thing I think that the police procedure might have been as close as they could, you know, to what really happened and maybe, um, you know, a little bit different you know yeah. than that or whatever um but anyway um so yeah so i i i loved um i love that so he ends up getting bail because his wife uh contacts some people and they they help raise his money and get his bail so he gets out on bail and um they're they talk they get a lawyer uh who's which, you know, back in those days is equivalent to about $75,000. So yeah, it's a lot of money. Um, yeah. And so they put up the bail. So he gets out and he gets a lawyer. And the lawyer is um, sort of know. new to criminal cases. Yeah. Know, which he lets them know. And they're okay with that as long as he's, you know, does the best job he can, you know. And uh, he ends up telling them, well, you need to find people who can be your alibis for those specific days so he remembers certain people and he goes to their houses and they're dead like you know they go to one house they find out all oh, these people don't live here anymore and one of them's dead right explain that a little bit uh he went to a resort right or they went to a resort he and his wife and they were trying to remember two specific dates that they could establish an alibi. So they went to this one, I forget what it's called, Shady Acres or whatever. And so they talked to the manager and her wife and they were willing to testify. Mm -hmm. They were on the register. That probably would have been enough. But then they wanted to make it one step further and see the and visit with the guys that they played cards with. But like you said, they found that they were both deceased. But there was one guy who was outstanding, and I don't know if they ever resolved that. He was a boxer, an ex-prize fighter, and they couldn't find him. So that they were like out of that one, two, three, you're out, you know. Right. And so they, like you said though, there was that one person who, like, you know, uh at the resort or whatever, the the, the family that the resort or whatever that could help them. And uh 
probably wasn't enough. Probably right. wasn't enough. And so the as this is happening and all this stuff's happening on him, the wife's having a mental breakdown. She's, yeah. you know, becoming a nervous breakdown. She's thinks this is all her fault, you know, and everything. Um, she thinks that it was, you know, uh, because, you know, he went to get this stuff from her loan for her, right? That right. this is all on her, that this is her fault. And I really, like, I felt so terribly sorry for Vera Miles, who played um, Rose. Um, Vera Miles was wonderful, by the way. Like, um, uh, Hitchcock used her again in um, Psycho. Uh, from what I've understood, he wanted somebody else for that role or whatever, I believe. I could be wrong. Uh, don't quote me on that. Um, but he ended up going with Vera Miles, and, uh, and, and he had worked with her before you know um and so on um, this and they i mean she did a, a fantastic job you know i thought i thought she did great and uh uh she has this nervous breakdown and he has to commit her to a hospital you know and that is all true that is all true and is nuts that that happened um so i Real quick, I want to read this to you, uh, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, I found a New York uh, Post, uh, you know, article about this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in January 1953, Ballesteros went to borrow money from his wife's life insurance plan. He was taken into custody after two employees at the insurance office identified him as the man who robbed the office of a total of $271 during uh, two robberies the previous year. As painstakingly recounted in the film, shot on many actual locations, Ballestero was waiting the second trial. The first had ended abruptly after Juror made a remark, and we'll get to that, uh, when the actual culprit was apprehended during an attempted um, deli robbery. Uh, cops noticed that suspect Charles James Daniel, uh, an employee, uh, Unemployed plastics worker bore an uncanny resemblance to Ballestero. Under questioning, Daniel admitted committing more than 40 robberies and claimed the plan to come forward if Ballestero were convicted of this at a second trial. What made the case especially poignant and attracted national attention is what happened to Ballestero's wife, Rose. Uh, ba- uh, blaming herself for Manny's arrest, the money he was trying to borrow for his, her for was for dental work she needed. She suffered a nervous breakdown. The mother of two young sons, she remained institutionalized until September 1955. Ballestero told the Post an interview uh, while the wrong man was in production. My life did not start over again when I was cleared, said Ballestero, who moved his family to Florida after his wife's release. I figured if we're going to really get a fresh start, everything's got to be different. We left our friends, our relatives, our home, our furniture, everything. Ballestero sued the city and insurance company for $500,000 for false arrest and settled out of court for $7,000. He sold the film rights to the story for $22,000, but told the Post that that not much was left after repaying loans for the cost of Rose's institutionalization. Manny, who went back to work as a musician and loved the Hitchcock movie, died in a nursing home in 1998, but Rose, who died 14 years earlier, never fully recovered. 
contrary to a written coda at the end of Raw Man, which was two years, supposedly just two years. So, you know, obviously, if she, you know, like they, they must not have known. Uh, she suffered a great bit. Their son, Gregory, retired industrial engineer and author said in 2014 when the in, in, uh, intersection of uh, 73rd Street and 41st Avenue near the old family home in Jackson Heights was renamed Manny the Wrong Man Ballastero Way. It's kind of a way to make up for the pain and suffering that went through, said Gregory, who was five at the time of his father's arrest and attended the street naming ceremony with his brother Robert, who had been 12 and teased by his classmates at school. Manny Ballastero discussing the devastating impact of his wrongful arrest in a 1953 Life magazine article. Be careful of accusing anyone, he said. Before you accuse anyone, you should think because you can destroy a family physically and mentally like mine could have been destroyed. Yeah, well said. I, I read the same thing. That, that's pretty much a distillation of the entire movie. Um, but I want to add something to that. God, I don't even know where to begin. But um, uh, so he... Um, Oh, I wanted to touch on the fact that they were desperately poor to begin with. And that's something that the cops used against them, you know, because mm. he used to play the horses, but just on paper, he didn't actually bet. But it made because they asked him, do you bet on horses? And he said, well, yes, but he didn't explain it fully. He should have said, well, just on paper, I don't actually bet on them. You know, I just and then they thought maybe he was out of money and he owed money to the mob. So they were they got deeper and deeper and deeper in debt. You know, first the lawyer, the big time attorney, then the institutionalization of his wife. And then, you know, it on and on and on. I mean, it got worse and worse. The poor guy, he had the luck, luck of the Irish. If he didn't have bad luck, he'd have none at all. And uh, so it, it really uh, became very depressing for him. Poor guy was alone because his wife accused him of the robbery, actually, when she snapped and she hit him with a hairbrush. Oh, uh, yeah. My God. I mean, how much can the guy take? Um, I have to ask you, did you enjoy the movie? Well, you know, I first said, uh, I tried to make it funny, you know, I, I, uh, I kept uh, hitting my head on my desk and I was falling asleep. There was part that really dragged and, um, which part, I, which part do you think dragged? Well, a lot of it, you know, it was just so really, I didn't think so. It's just my opinion. Okay. No, I, no, it's, it's a great opinion. And I, I want to hear that. And all right, here's why. It started out, usually Hitchcock leads you to believe that the guy might be guilty, and then he's found innocent. This guy, this time, the way it was formatted for some reason, it was like, I just assumed he was innocent. And so then it was like, there's no suspense. The whole movie was just like, oh, okay. Uh, I think, you know, to me, I, I, I sort of beg to differ. I think the suspense comes with finding out all of these different things that just doesn't work out, you know? Like you think every second, like, you know, there's no way that this could happen. And then bam, it happens. And it happened for real, you know, because this is like, that, and maybe that's the problem that you have with it. Maybe you enjoy Hitchcock when it's more fictionalized and, you know, and, and whatnot. This is, this is true to life. 
ruined for me because they say, you know, in the, the like tagline, this is an innocent guy that was almost found guilty. And it's like, you know, ahead of time, it's like, give me a break here. I want to see the movie. Don't tell me how it ends. So, you know. It's well, just- I mean, most people probably back in those days, in the day that it first came out, because remember, you have to remember, uh, you know, back in the 1950s, uh, movies didn't go on VHS or whatever. You know, yeah. they were in the theater for a couple, you know, for a couple weeks, months, whatever, and then they were gone. You know, you're never seen again, really. Um, you make as much money as you can on this movie, then you move on. Um, and, and the thing is that um, most people probably knew uh, the story of uh, Manny uh, Ballestero and and his family and stuff like that. They probably read articles about this stuff. So they knew he was innocent. They knew he was the wrong man, which is what the title of the movie is. So really, if you think about it, this isn't made, you know, when they do this stuff, it's not made for us who uh, may have not, may not have seen this movie. And you definitely didn't see this movie back in 1953 or whatever, you know, I mean, uh, well, it's or, soul, so I didn't see it back then. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. So you didn't see it, but other people, you know, probably knew the story. Like your family probably knew the story of what happened. Oh, so when yeah. Hitchcock comes to, you know, comes to uh, to the screen and says, you know, all this stuff, like this is about an innocent man and all this stuff. I mean, everybody already knew. So really the suspense was like, where is this going? Like, how is he going to like, how, how is he going to get out of this? And that was the suspense to me is how was Manny going to get out of, out of, out of being a, uh, uh, and I didn't know, I didn't know how, um, because I didn't read the the articles till after. Um, So I was, it again because I, I always find little things to enjoy the second time but this was not my favorite Hitchcock movie by far oh no that's not my favorite either but I think this is a you know honestly I liked it better than the last one okay. um a little bit a little bit better and and that's not to say that you know um any of the movies um are worse or whatever like Hitchcock's still a master of cinema you know yeah. No, no doubt about it. But this received mixed reviews. Now, mm-hmm. I, I saw a lot of them, and they kind of agreed with me, some of them. And mm-hmm. I just thought, you know, um, anyway. It's, right. It's, well, that's, uh, and that's understandable, especially when you're watching. Because like I said, I think you and most of the other people that watch these Hitchcock movies are expecting Hitchcock. Like they're expecting I entertained. I really wasn't on this. And you know, it was a documentary type style, which is yeah. for him. It was almost like I was watching something on uh, 60 minutes. And uh, it was kind of a theatrical, what do they call that when they, they show something that actually happened and they kind of use actors to do it? It's a docu uh docu something. But yeah, it was a reenactment. Yeah, a reenactment. That's exactly good. What it was. So it wasn't my favorite type of thing. But, um, so one of the things they did is they used a real jail. You know, they didn't make those jails or whatever. You know, they used real jails. Um, and uh, if you, I don't know if you know this, but um, if you listen specifically, and I didn't hear it, but I wasn't paying attention, you know, if you can actually hear somebody in the background 
one of the jail jailmates or whatever jail people uh people in the jail go uh hey henry what are you in here for you know uh and so it was funny because i guess they weren't aware that this was being filmed <laughs> that, you know to make it look real make it look like it was a real thing very very astute of you i, I my hearing's not there no i will not i didn't hear it uh, i just read about it so i need to i i you know at some point i'm gonna buy the blu-ray of this um as i said this isn't my favorite um this i i still feel like it's a really good hedgecock movie and i feel like it's a a, a movie people should see especially if you're if you want to um dive into hitchcock a little bit more but um understand like this isn't like if you've never seen a hitchcock movie this is not a hitchcock movie like this isn't his normal thing this is that's i think that was the main thing that attracted him he was, was the different forms the different different genres. yeah he actually did he so he um originally so what you may or may not know is that he had a deal with warner brothers for a while and transatlantic pictures so he was going to be doing he had a contract for eight years an eight-year contract and um he had to honor that contract with a certain number of movies i forgot how many like four or something so he had to he had to do like four movies for them and he did like rope and under capricorn and i forgot what the other one was but he also did this one for them and um and the thing was he did not want to work with warner brothers anymore i don't know what the what the problem was but he didn't he he wanted to go i think he had a better deal with paramount you know paramount like offered him more money and so he actually agreed to do this movie because uh warner brothers bought the rights to the story you know and he said i will do this movie for free if basically you let me out of my contract, you know, so I can go and work on other films too. And they said, sure. So then he went and tried to get Hayes, one of his writers, John Michael Hayes to come and join him. And, but they wouldn't pay John Michael Hayes, right. Either. Um, And so he tried to get him to do it for free. And uh, John Michael Hayes said, I, I can't do it for free. And even if he could have, or even if he agreed to it, uh, WGA, Writers Guild, would never have let him. So he ended up, um, him and uh, Hitchcock, Hitchcock said, if you don't, if you don't do this thing with Warner Brothers with me, I'm, uh, we're, we'll never speak again. And um, uh, John Michael Hayes said, that's fine. You know, right. You know, I'm not doing this. So they, they didn't speak for a few years. And then they saw each other at a ballet and uh, was it John Michael Hayes walked up to uh, uh, Hitchcock and they were both cordial with each other, but you could still tell that uh, Hitchcock did not want to talk to, um, you know, him at all. So that was, that was an interesting thing, but they did get a couple of really good writers um, and uh, to come on board. uh, I'm trying to remember the, uh the writers names and this um uh let me bring them up real quick uh maxwell anderson and uh angus mcphail are the main two writers um uh you might know maxwell anderson as the guy who adapted all all quiet on the western front he did key largo um uh he wrote the bad seed 
He wrote Meet Joe Black, uh, the original. Um, he was a contributing writer to Ben-Hur. Uh, he was a contributing writer for Vertigo. Um, and uh, what else? He did a lot of stuff. Um, the e, he, uh, Most of these were just based on his plays um, because he wrote a lot of plays. But uh, this was like, The Wrong Man was one of the uh, first, you know, um, movies he did that wasn't based on a play and was just based on a story that he wrote, I believe, for like uh, one of the, you know, um, one of the newspapers or so. Um, So let's see. Um, So then uh, um, was the other one is... Angus McPhail, um, which I think is a terrible. It's spelled like M-A-C-P-H-A-I-L, McPhail. Um, but he wrote Spellbound, um, which... Did we do Spellbound? I don't believe so. Did we? We haven't, we haven't done Spellbound yet, have we? Wait! Was- well, that, yeah, that was the one we just did, wasn't it? Was it? God, we're both suffering from. Uh, man, our mind is completely blank right now. That was the, uh, yes, back in March. Yeah. <laughs> Before I confess, it was spellbound. Yeah. Yeah. So yes. So okay. Um. I yeah, uh, we did do spellbound. Oh, he he wrote spellbound as well. God, man, my brain. It's you know what? It's because I do a million podcasts and I watch a million movies. And I just totally forget. And but I remembered like watching that again recently. Um, he had done uh, so he'd done Spellbound, he did uh, Whiskey Galore, uh, Frida, um, Dead by Night, um, wow. bunch of bunch of scripts I've never really heard of, but they look like they might be fun. Um, Anyway, so, you know, he worked with a couple good writers and, uh, and you know what my favorite, my favorite scene is him walking in the um, jail cell because there's a great shot of the lights, you know, and like, like up high and uh, they're walking, you know, they're walking him through the, through the hall and it's just the way it's shot was just like, oh, that's just the classic like Hitchcock kind of shot talking about the tilt-a-wheel trick that they oh no 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 i like that too but i'm talking this was this was simple this was simple i would have preferred that henry fonda would have internalized this when he wasn't capable of it rather than do tricks like that that was a theatrical trick well you don't like you don't like those i think that's cool stuff like that i'd rather that he freaked out on his own and made it more human rather than from his perspective, seeing the world go around and around, and I just, you know, I got, I pulled back from that. So yeah, well, I, I get it. By that time, he was in fragile emotional health, and I know he was freaking out because he was in prison for the first time. And it, uh, but I, I just didn't like the way they did it. Um, it I thought it was like a cheap parlor trick. But, no, um, I get it. I, I I liked it, but that's yeah, my for everybody. That's my thing. Uh, we all we all have, you know. I, I I'm I'm more like of a 
director who doesn't have a visual style. So when I see somebody having one, I I kind of drawn to it because I'm I'm trying to get better at that. We you know, look at it with a different viewpoint. As a director, I look at it as an actor. Right. That changes things a little bit. Um, but I want to talk about some of the little bits and pieces that we, we might have overlooked. Um, like in the court, I noticed things like this. Did you know there was only two women on the jury? There's mostly men. And I counted the people in the jury box. There was 15. So in those days, did they uh, have alternates with the jury? Because mm -hmm. that might have been a mistake. There should be only 12 people. I don't think they used to have 15 people. And uh, also, when he looked around the courtroom, if you notice that everybody was disinterested, they were bored, they were kind of like distracted. And he said, you know, he was thinking this about here, my life is at stake and nobody even gives a shit. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like that kind of struck me. I, I like that part of it, um, how he realized that nobody really cared what that happened. I mean, it got to the point where that juror got up and was like, do we really need to hear yes, this? Yeah. You know? point. Yes, I, I want to talk about that because that was a mistrial. Nobody mm -hmm. could stand up and object. And he, you know, they said that he was actually commenting on his guilt. I don't recall that so much, but he objects to the proceedings. So the judge said, this is cause for immediate mistrial. So he got lucky on that one. And they postponed his second trial, but he still had to go to jail, right? In well, what happens? Okay, so I don't understand that because like, so say a juror, screws up like that right you know because they're told probably you can't talk you can't object you can't you know or this is going to be declared as a mistrial right they're probably told that ahead of time i've never actually been and quote unquote uh, you know knock on wood i don't ever become i don't really want to be part of a jury um i just a juror you know but um if you're on ju jury duty you're probably told what to do what not to do right so yes. when they do that when they get up and they say, you know, you know, do I really need, do we really need to see that or whatever they say? And then that's grounds for a mistrial. Uh, do the, does the jury, uh, the jury, juror member who did that, does they get, do they get in trouble? Do they get fined or anything? I because I mean, that, that right there is money that is. is spent, that is wasted because somebody, didn't listen to their, you know, what they're supposed to do. I don't know. We, that's a great thing for Google. But mm. uh, I know that they immediately suspend the trial and they're very strict about certain points. That guy really screwed up. And uh, so they have to start all over again. And uh, for a technicality, some people get off actually that are guilty because of a technicality in the proceedings. So a lot of gangsters have lawyers that always look for stuff like that. Um, so anyway, um, after that, he just had to wait. And so he visited his wife in the institution and she just wants nothing to do with him at that point. And then the nurse behind him is kind of like with an empty smile as she tells him to leave, you know, you're just wasting your time. And poor guy was at the end of his rope and nobody's in his corner at all. It seems like it's a very, very bleak time in his life. And uh, all the cops and witnesses are guilty of thinking him guilty. They ruined his life. And even when he, he kind of met the real guy when he got caught, 
And he says, you realize you what you've done to my wife? Well, what did he do to him? I mean, he ruined his life. Oh, he, but see, that, that seemed to be in par with that character of only caring about other people other than his own well-being, you know, like he uh he cared about his wife he cared about his kids he cared about everybody else he didn't he didn't really i don't think it really ever sunk into him that it was you know that this whole thing was about him because he seemed like a very uh humble very nice very compassionate compassionate person and you know that sort of you know that you know that sort of problem you know happens all the time you know in a way where somebody who's very compassionate very sweet uh gets you know taken advantage of by circumstances and stuff and you know how do they deal with that did you, know? you ever have a moment in there where it was like a tear-jerking moment for you i never no. without a scene with his eldest son he was like 10 at home and uh they have real mutual appreciation for each other and i mm. I, I thought it was sweet i don't think i i don't think i cried or anything no, i don't I, think I just felt you know emotional at that yeah moment. well because he was telling his son i hope that if you ever you know if something bad like this ever happens to you when you're an adult that you have a kid that you can look back you know that's as sweet as you you know any yeah. kind of thing and i thought that was that was a really nice touch for yeah. you know like i'm i i wonder if the people who this really happened to George and, you know, the, the sons, I wonder if they ever watched this movie, you know, and, and just thought as an adult and just thought to themselves, like, um, you know, um, you know what I mean? Like I, 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 I am very blessed to like, ha- like, cause this did, probably hasn't happened to them, you know, they've never been, you know, like this was just a, just a bad luck, you know? circumstance completely the worst luck ever what i was looking for in the actor as an actor uh was real emotion because you know in golden pond he and his daughter really didn't like each other much um jane fonda and henry fonda so when they did golden pond they improvised a little bit and that was real emotion on her part and i believe his too when they kind of broke down and both kind of cried because they weren't really close and that's how they bonded on the scene in that scene on golden pond and so i was looking for that same emotion with the kid and i, I don't know if it was faking it or it was real but uh it was I, it seemed it seemed like a genuine emotion um i i i liked him in it i liked him doing that and i liked the kid um i thought i thought it was so funny my favorite one of my favorite lines in the movie is that the kid is uh, they're talking about how Mozart uh, wrote uh, wrote that song when they were five. And right. he was like one kid was like 12 or 10 or whatever it was. And like, um, well, I could definitely play it because I'm older than, you know, five. And then the other kids like, you know, well, I'm five, so I could write it. And I was like, that's cute. Wish, buddy. Yeah, I, I don't think everybody has the the ear. <laughs> Notice what I said yeah, here. Only one in 10 million Mozarts. But uh, anyway, you know, this film was billed as every moment is an eternity in suspense. And that's where I kind of disagree. Because oh, I disagree with that. Um, 
only suspense for me was whether the real robber would ever be caught. <laughs> right. Know? And that was, that was, I think that was supposed to be the suspense of like, how, how is this going to get, you know, how, how, how is this going to get solved? You know, like every, every turn they try, somebody died or uh, just the yeah. luck was just terrible. There is and, a bad break. And they just, yeah, they had just a bad situation. But, um, you know, all in all, I'm, I, um, all in all, looking back to this movie, I, I, I don't think I'd ever seen it. You know, I thought I did. thought I rented this from the um, library uh, years ago, but I don't think so. Um, so I don't think I'd ever watched it. And after watching it now, I'm like, this is, it's a, it's a, it's a darn good movie. Like, I think people should see it, especially if you're an Alfred Hitchcock enthusiast, you know, like ourselves, like we, we like to watch these things just to see what Alfred Hitchcock would do, you know, or whatever, or see the master at work. Right. Um, I feel like there's more to it. You know, as you said, you want like to watch the movies usually twice if you can. Yes. I, yeah. yeah. I recommend that highly. Yeah. I just kind of, I did just didn't have time this time, but I need to go back and see it. You know, Hitchcock had a lifelong fear of the police simply because his father, when he misbehaved, took him down to the precinct and scared the hell out of him. Mm-hmm. He was terrified of the police. So that might have bled through on this movie. Certain well, parts. I think that might also have been one of the reasons why it attracted him, yeah. you know, because he was just like, this is my chance to kind of show how scary uh, the police are in some way or another. And, and you know what's funny is nowadays with like the defund the police and all this other stuff. I mean, I, I wonder what, what like Hitchcock would be, you know, how he would be like now, you know, because there's so much like, it's so different than it was back in the fifties, you know, and everything like things have definitely changed a lot, uh, especially politically speaking, and uh, I just, I wonder, if, I, I honestly don't think he'd be any interest in making movies these days, you know, just because um, the stories wouldn't be as, you know, like, I don't know. I just don't, I don't feel like he would, you know, it, it's not like it was back in the fifties and sixties, well, you know? much human interaction you know most of these movies are shoot them up bang bang big explosions into the world type apocalyptic things so he <laughs> enjoyed it but he would have continued making his style maybe i don't know if he would have been as well received as he was but you know he uh he opens this movie with a narration which is a departure for him because usually there's kind of a sly cameo, kind of a humorous interaction with the world he created. And this time he stood apart and kind of, you know, welcomed us to this movie. In a, in a, in a he, it felt more like uh, what William Castle does, which is yeah. like before every movie he would introduce or what Hitchcock would later or I don't know if he was doing it at the time, but for Alfred Hitchcock Presents, you know. I grew up watching that. So I really enjoy it. I, I have a lot of those movies at home. Oh, you I, have a lot of the episodes of uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents? That's I'm, amazing. That's great. You know, but but because it reminded me of my youth, I grew up in the 50s. 
and uh, in the 60s. But this felt like an Alfred Hitchcock presents the movie, you know, if you think about it, you know, this just, it doesn't have the same, you know, suspense, suspense that, you know, whatever it's. It's very humorous and sly about how things, you know, he kind of makes fun of himself and, and a lot of that. Oh yeah, that's right. This didn't, this is very serious too. Like his introduction to, to the movie was very like, you know, hi, I'm Alfred Hitchcock and this is my film and uh, this is all true, you know, which actually he filmed, by the way, he filmed a cameo uh, appearance uh, where coming out of the stork, uh, stork club. Uh, however, he deleted it. Um, he took it out because uh, he felt that adding himself twice would, would be, you know. I see. Because I was so. looking and I thought, no, not in this one. No, because, well, we got we got his cameo, and his cameo was just him. And this was the first and only time in any of the movies that he actually spoke to the audience. Not, yeah. Oh, the very first time, yeah. Okay, I was thinking well, of the cameo. He only appeared in 40 out of the 54 movies that survived. I, I read somewhere that uh, he was in, he didn't do, every, every movie wasn't a cameo. Uh, just certain ones, but I don't know why or which ones. We're going to find out. We'll think. find out because we'll go through them and you'll say, hey, you usually do that. You usually go, do you know where you where you find? I've got to start looking for them because I just never do. But as as we've said before, he's usually in the beginning of the film somewhere um, because he doesn't want people exactly. look, you know, taking their time out to just try to find him, you know. Yes. This is an distractor from the movie, but uh, hopefully, I thought we were going to see all 86 movies, but I guess 54 survives, so we'll, uh, you know, not be able to see all of them. Something happened. Well, some things, some things that he's directed were like TV shows and stuff, too, so, so. you know, um, so really, I mean, I don't know, we'll see, we'll see what we can find or whatnot. Um, I'm not even sure what we're going to, I know we, I have it written down what we're going to, we're going to do next, but what I'm getting kind of frustrated was with, with just like the wrong man, this is hard to, to get, you know, you have to get it through either. I don't know if you got it through Netflix or if you rented it, you I know, big bucks for this four bucks from Amazon. And I figured found out later I could have gotten for two at uh, YouTube. So if anybody wants to see it, it's only $2 on YouTube, but. Uh, Frenzy is the next movie we're going to do. That's uh, also kind of you have to rent it, you know, um, because it's not uh, easily available or whatever. It's not streaming or anything, which sort of gets me frustrated because uh, even this film being a Warner Brothers movie, I, I imagine that it would have been on HBO Max because HBO Max has a bunch of the Warner Brothers. Warner, Warner Brothers and Warner Media owns uh hbo max so i figured this would be on hbo max and it's not you know and so i just don't know if they're gonna ever put out everything on streaming you know. why don't they do this on tcm you know turner classic movies because this it's a good fit maybe- it might be it might be available in the in turner classic movies in the um uh do they have streaming platform or something i don't think so i think they they work with hbo max you know so i think they a lot of the tcm movies not all of them obviously 
but a lot of the ones that they do are on uh, HBO Max. So it should be should be there. Um, like I said, some of the films that he did later were with Paramount. So I figured that those would be on Paramount Plus. And I don't think there's, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm going to have to look into it, but I don't think there's any films. Uh, there might be one or two that's on Paramount Plus, you know? And that sort of frustrates me that these companies have like, you know, I, I don't know what, I don't know what the deal is, like how hard it is for them to do this or, or, you know, if they have to certain things that they have to get the, you know, the rights to or, or whatever, you know, um, but anywho, I was just glad that I did get to rent it for four bucks on uh, Amazon and uh it was it was well worth it like this movie i i was because it was like four bucks or it was like 10 bucks to own and i was like i don't know if i want to own it you know because i don't I haven't really i don't really remember it you know so i was like i'll probably rent it and if i like it enough i'll buy it on blu-ray someday you know because it's on warner archives uh has put this out on blu-ray so if you are a fan of hitchcock and want to have like a good collection like myself, you know, Blu-rays, I would suggest buying it uh, for 17 bucks on um, uh, Amazon for, uh, for the Blu-ray, you know. Uh, I, I think it's worth, you know, 17 bucks, you know. Um, you know, I'm eventually, I'll eventually get it and re-watch it at some point or another, you know. Um, and maybe we'll re-review this at some point, you know. Like, you know, because I feel like this is a movie that deserves like a second or third viewing and 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 kind of discuss discussion about whether or not it was it, it got better on the second time or not. You know, this movie could have been just you could have felt the same as the first time, you know. So, okay. um, yeah, I if we want to cycle through the, the first 50 movies and start again. <laughs> I don't think we'll start again, but we may do like uh maybe we'll do like a um Patreon only thing where our Patreon members can uh listen to us do a, another review of this or something. But that won't be for another year or two, you know, when down the line, not like not like tomorrow, <laughs> you know. But down the line we might be able to re review it if you're interested in doing that. See some of some other stuff he's done because I'd only seen a couple of movies of his prior to this. This is an amazing experience. Well, this is why um because I remember the 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 catalyst for this, like what started this whole thing was I came to your house and we did a I think we did an uh IFC episode, and then uh we decided to do a uh a show for I forgot which one it was for film freaks or something, but it was us talking about Hitchcock, you know, and everything, because that was before you and Bonnie got hooked up to doing uh, little stinkers for us. But you and I were discussing Hitchcock and you were sort of, you were a fan of like the stuff that you've seen of his, but you did tell me you hadn't really seen that many and stuff. And you were sort of, in awe of the fact that I knew a lot of about him, but I mean, as you can see, I have this book, um, which is uh, uh, which is called uh, "A Life in Darkness and Light," Alfred Hitchcock, 
And I've got a bunch of others also done by the same uh, writer. I've got another one called the Hitch, uh, Hitchcock's Notebooks um, and a bunch of other ones that are just all about Hitchcock and how, you know, he, uh, how he works and um, the stuff that they've done research on for his films. So, um, I, I, did you notice in the movie that uh, the, the, the Manny was, was the one that they thought was guilty? Manny's mother begs him to pray. And then there's a close-up of Jesus, the picture. And I was wondering, and, and then, of course, I remember that Hitchcock was raised in a Jesuit school. So uh, not only was he terrified of police, but he had this fixation on religion for some strange reason. <laughs> well, there was, you go. He oh, got to put a lot of his self into the movies. Sure does. You know, which is great. Um, that's yeah. what I feel like most filmmakers should. Yeah, um, everybody does consciously or otherwise. But um, yeah, some people just do it subconsciously. But um, yeah, I bet, I bet, I bet Alfred Hitchcock does it consciously and subconsciously. I think there's some things he puts in there specifically because he knows you know this is what i want to put in there and then there's other times he's just like oh i didn't even think about that you know like that just happened yeah. and uh well maybe not he's he is very kubrick like kubrick and him have the thing where they know exactly what each shot is going to be before they shoot it and everything they have storyboards and they have uh yeah. he's very methodical yeah he knows what he's doing so i think I think most of the time, if it's in there, there's a, you know, he knows it's in there and there's a reason it's in there. Yeah, I read and, that. He's very meticulous. Every shot is thought through thoroughly. He's almost, uh, you know, uh, irritating to everybody around mm-hmm. him. It has to be precise. And exactly. Over and over and over until it's exact. But, uh, yeah, I mean, but it works. So, yeah, I... Uh, this, this is really an interesting movie to go through and, you know, and uh, comment on. Yep. Well, thank you so much, Larry. This has been fun. And uh, it's about that time. Um, and we want to thank you all for listening and checking this out. If you've seen The Wrong Man, tell us your thoughts. You know, did you enjoy it? Did you not enjoy it? Um, were you bored? You know, um, uh were you not bored? You know, I, I, I particularly wasn't, but I can see where other people might think it's slow, uh, which is very surprising because I'm the, I have the attention span of a gnat. So like you would think that I, you know, there are movies that are like slow burn movies that I just can't, I can't sit through because I get, I'm just like, get to the point, you know? Um, but this particular movie, I just, I didn't, I didn't find it that way. I, 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 you know, I felt it went pretty fast. You know, there were times, but I, I not the whole movie, of course. But uh, thank you, Professor Moody. Hmm. Educated us all again. Well, I try. I try. I think you know, honestly, this movie was sort of, uh, sort of the right kind of film. You know, for for people, some people like it, some people may not. Um, and and that's fine. You know, um. Uh, but if you're a Hitchcock enthusiast, like I said, you got to at least see it, you know, to say, you know, you've seen, you know, the wrong man, which I mean, it's it, it, most of his movies are about the wrong man, but they're never titled that 
this movie actually is titled that the wrong man so you know from the very beginning this is the wrong man you know and there you go so thank you guys for checking this out uh join us next month for a whole new episode where we'll be watching and reviewing frenzy which is a this is like i think it's rated r if i'm correct so this will be like the first r rated like this is basically his real life like slasher serial killer type movie and stuff so just be ready for it this may not be something you want to show bonnie honestly pretty pretty rough you know from (laughs) yeah i think she'd fall asleep maybe a little bit you know um but uh uh thank you so much larry and everybody else thank you guys so much for checking this out join us next month and uh we're we're excited we can't wait to do more uh hitchcock for you so have a good one everybody till that time bye